Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Good evening, chums, and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. We have a packed show for you tonight, and um, we would focus on the national matters and the by-election, but Labour are so far in front now, they can pretty much give up, can't they? They've pretty much won the next election, so we'll leave that to one side and then focus on the things that really matter to the people of Portsmouth, which is last Tuesday's full council meeting. It's almost like that's the opposite of a message of... of guarding against complacency and hoping for a different result um i think miracles um we should be wary of miracles and the 1992 all over again um but anyway yes welcome um full council on tuesday um we've listened we've observed we've recorded we've diced we've Mm. opined on the matters that were on the agenda it was quite a packed agenda um it was and respect respect due to his right worshipful lord mayor of Portsmouth, Tom Coles, who we, we had the smart money on God Midnight, and it it looked like he had everything done and dusted by quarter past eight, despite the number of people who stepped forward with the, well, I wasn't going to speak on this issue, but... Yeah, um, we do need to start a, a bingo um, thing where mm. we, do, we do that. And, he, and in fact, actually, the Lord Mayor does at one point say that he's going to start basically a swear jar for such a thing uh, for people that say that they were going to weren't going to speak uh, and then end up end up speaking um who knows how much that would raise for one of the excellent charities um that the lord mayor supports um you never know um for those of us following along in the chat live on youtube um and facebook i've put a link to the agenda so if you really want to you can read ahead and see all wow. of the exciting things that are going along um i'll also try if i can keep up um and if not i'll do them later on on the website i'll share the link to the, each question um, as they go through the agenda because um, so you don't have to go through the five hour and 19 minute long thing yourself so there's this this is the kind of service that's provided so right we've got to condense five hours and 19 minutes down into less than an hour let's hit the road Simon what you got for us okay so uh, the, the thing starts off with um, well it starts off interestingly um <laughs> At the very start of the meeting, um, the Lord Mayor um, invites the the council to hold a minute's silence uh, to to mark the the loss of life uh, and suffering, or to the loss of um, Israeli and Palestinian life um, because of the incidents that are that are happening happening there. Um, and that gets interrupted by um, by Councillor Matthew Atkins um, asking, saying that the council basically should also um, take this opportunity to condemn. Um, the actions of Hamas um, and their mistreatment of Israelis and what they've done. And he li- lists um, the, the things yep. that have been reported um, there. Um, then um, a, um, uh, I think it's Judy Smy then essentially kind of got, are we like having the minute silence or, or what kind of thing. Um, so then they have their minute silence um, and start to try to move merrily on and we think okay we're off to this start we're we're um this this is kind of set that set the tone um there is a mechanism so just to just to kind of um bring everyone up to speed um normally everything that's on the agenda is always always planned in advance has got to be submitted by a, um by a certain amount of time um the administration can indeed submit emergency motions actually uh i think 5 p.m the, the day before of the council if they if they need to um but there is also um 
urgent uh, matters that can basically be uh, be used to put things onto the onto the agenda live in the meeting, um, as it were. And uh, Councillor uh, Councillor Atkins uh, uses the uses tries to use that mechanism uh, to get that request put onto the agenda uh, for discussion before the council, but no one seconds it, so it doesn't get discussed. Um, which, let's be honest, is, is almost certainly for the best. The the, yeah. the machinations, are, you know, uh, there is this element, and we'll come into it as we get into more detail. Why don't we just all agree on the things that we can agree on, which is that mm. the loss of life in and around Gaza is dreadful. And there is an element of the whole, you know, the, the, the thoughts and wisdom of the councillors of Portsmouth in regard to complex Middle East politics going back over hundreds of years is not going to make one iota of difference, but is almost certainly going to lead to to opinions being expressed and views being aired and unhelpful, angry debate. So hooray for the rest of the councillors who let that one pass by, do a respectful minute silence, move on. As we shall, what's first on your list? Um, so I'm going to try to smooth through these there's some basically some normal run-of-the-mill kind of stuff which which we'll kind of skip um the next thing um that's worth worth us um noting on the agenda is um the appointments um and in that um essentially the council needs to uh, appoint um a new chair for the housing and social care scrutiny panel um and it does it appoints uh, raymond dent um from pip um, who's currently the vice chair to be the chair of of that panel um, and um, because he's then been elevated to chair they then need to select um, to select a vice chair which they select as uh, Darren Sanders uh, also no which they accept as Graham Heaney and then they also need to select a replacement for the Langston Harbour board um, which is Darren Sanders so my apologies so uh, yeah pretty run-of-the-mill sort of thing but there's just that sort of thing of hey the council yep. are approving these people um Shaw Power and Zevi update now this this motion uh, sorry this this report back uh, to the council so again although the council gets to uh, the full council gets to say whether or not it um it approves these um this report um essentially it's saying hey isn't it great there's a there's a um basically there's an arrangement to invest 26.1 million pounds um in bringing shore power to the port um to enable basically ferries cruise uh, cruise liners uh, to plug in when they're in port instead of running their diesel engines and therefore churning out all of that into the atmosphere which is great for all of those um in that part of the city um yep. That's secured as part of a um, so that twenty six point one uh, million is uh, made up partly by an um, eighteen and a half uh, million pound uh, grant, um, some four point six million uh, prudential borrowing, and three million from corporate resource to to basically you know, unlock that grant. So um, essentially, great thing all round. Um, there's some opinions there about um, that's only really possible to organise because the council actually owns the port, um, and therefore being in public ownership, that means that we have the ability to. Um, to make and direct investments um, like that um, so another thing worthy of vote but that would when that comes into effect that will make Portsmouth City Port the first um, carbon neutral um, port in the country which is fantastic did they give us a date for that um, there, there, there wasn't a date for that um, but no. um, but these things take time um, they do but to get all of those machinations in place and get the money in place to be able to do that. Fantastic thing. Fantastic thing for the hard work of the people at the port. Um, 
and to be able to kind of take it take it in that direction. Um, so that's great. So um, the next thing of note, well, there were two two reports back about Tipner West and Horsey Island East regeneration. Oh, One talks about um, uh, talks uh, uh, basically um, uh, about the regeneration itself, and the, and the other one talks about basically the preparatory steps and how they will go about basically seeking uh, design and planning permission. There's a point there that's raised by Councillor Simon Bosher about how in some documentation it says that the number of homes is somewhere around 800 a minimum of 850 to a maximum of 1250 and then um then in another document it's actually referring to a minimum of 12 uh, 1250 um but actually the officers that were there to answer the councillors questions uh, point out that the reason why they're stipulating um that the maximum is 1250 is to prevent a, a future developer basically coming back to the council and saying well actually this is only going to be viable if we actually if we actually have 1500 homes instead of 1250 it says right. this is the maximum so it sets that but it also re it repeats the um the things that were set um in a previous council meeting um about ruling out significant land recla reclamation um that um that 30 percent of them need to be um, affordable homes that it satisfies this the city deal uh, and Nat natural england and environment agency and maximizes job creation with uh, 58,000 square meters of employment space um, and that it uh, minimizes impact on the city council finances and uh, public services um, and minimizes, um, sorry, and provide biodiversity net gain of 10% of minimum. So it's it's certainly a different plan to some of the ones that that, would, that were talked out at previous meetings, but it shows that these things are going on behind the scenes and in detail. Um, they need to um they need to kind of cook away if you like uh, and then come back yeah i mean this 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 one is is look you know desperately needed by the city I, i'm i'm very much on this one it's that it, it, it it's a very slow blip 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 isn't it you know to use your stew away arrangement this this one is you know it's been decades in the cooking so far and Whilst it sounds positive, I'm not convinced people be unlocking houses their front doors there anytime soon. So um, yeah, it's it's hope. certainly not an oven ready deal. As a deal. no, um, no, it is um, not. No, 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 no. I think it's in it's in the slow cooker, and it's uh it's being run from a solar panel. There's nothing wrong with running from solar panels. Stop it. No, 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 no. All good if it works. Right, next one. Um. So um. Yeah, there's some stuff then about the um, youth justice strategic plan and about the treasury outturn, which, to be honest, they, they skip without actually mentioning. So they're essentially approved without any form of discussion. And then we get into item 14, which is the notices of motion, which is the big to mind, which is usually where everything falls apart. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I feel that there should be somebody announcing the notices of motion in the style of a ring announcer a ring announcer yeah as in like at the, at the oh you mean as in in one yeah. right in, yeah yeah kind of ladies and gentlemen it's the notices of motion right let's go with a because i think these yeah. are a new we, we get all excited and alphanumeric 14a so 14a save rail ticket offices essentially um oh, a motion God. brought forward uh, by the lib dems um to get the council to agree that we think that getting rid of rail ticket offices is a bad idea and of the of the um of the ticket offices in the city and the train stations in the city basically the nearest one would be in brighton um so um so lots of lots of 
oh, isn't this awful? Um, we should write to them about this. There's a bit of to and fro in about how did this get to be the first item on the agenda, bearing in mind something that I'll speak to um, in, in a minute about the stroke recovery service about because that was submitted to the council during the last council meeting. So it should be um, Councillor Graham Heaney felt that that should have been the first item on the agenda. So there was a, a little bit of a, of a, of a remarking on that. Um, the only other thing was, a, a, again, um, um, our councillor um, uh, Matthew Atkins um, remarked that um, he agreed with um, one of his colleagues that um, essentially the motion was virtue signalling in, in a chamber in which there is no virtue, or words to that effect. Ooh, so, there's, a, um, there's a stinger. I, and uh, to yeah. be honest, look, isn't this one of those motions where the, the government announced closure of ticket offices, there was a consultation period that lasted for three weeks and again it's something i'm very aware of because um you know often ticket officers lock disability groups have come out against this motion the motion was originally inaccessible if you were blind or vision impaired so it has extended out further um so i i'm not sure what this is adding in that portsmouth city council says no we don't want our ticket offices to close um you know i i, I sit in a very strange space in that i i I would be quite happy to see the staff redeployed to be more mobile. They sat behind a desk in a ticket office. They can only provide some support. Whereas if they are fully trained and mobile, they can provide not only ticket services, but others. But I, I seem to be a minority of one on this. So I'm sure we all wholeheartedly agreed that it was a good thing. And, and yes, it, 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 it was, it was indeed, um, it was indeed carried, um, you know, although there's, you know, lots of to and fro in them on whether people agree completely or or indeed agree about the uh, about the motives of the motion or indeed the timing of the of the motion yep. or indeed the ordering of the motion paper, basically it passed. Um, the next um, item was um, so 14B was about opt-out HIV testing. So this is uh, about the the council wanting to support um, the ability for um, for uh, for testing of of, of HIV um, because of the impact that can have in helping people um, get the right medication that they need it's not the sort of um, medical environment that it, that it would have been 20 30 years ago um, and indeed um, with the aim of, of bringing actually transmissions down to uh, down to zero and indeed they are um, decreasing massively so there's again I've put the links um, to the dis to the discussion and the debate there if people want to talk about it for for our purposes of needing to squeeze a five hour 20 minute conversation uh, meeting sorry into just under an hour sadly we can't cover everything in in the detail nope. that we and this one like. this one is one of those ones that seems like a no-brainer everybody yeah. agrees yeah and indeed everybody did everybody thought it was a perfectly sound and reasonable idea yes please let's let's uh, let's move on so so the next one that becomes um that is the first one where there's a there's a bit of um a, a bit of um bring is it bring bats bats um no the i don't know i'm not going to say whiff whiff there's a, there's a bit of to and fro on the next one, which is about the Portsmouth Stroke Recovery Service. Now, um, interested, it, it, interested. This parties. is making its comeback, isn't it? Yes. This was this was attempted last time and was yes. flung out for constitutional reasons. Of yes, we've only we'd only just signed off the budget. You were involved in the signing off of the budget. Don't now come rattling your tin saying. We call upon the administration to find more money for the thing that we didn't ask for only a few months ago. Um, 
well, that wasn't quite the response um, from the from anyone in the chamber on on this occasion. That is that is a, uh, along the lines of a response that comes up in uh, in one of the other uh, motions. Um, but essentially, Ooh. yes, this was originally bought in July, but was uh, struck off uh, on the grounds that um, essentially, if someone's calling for the council to spend money on a thing, they have to identify where that money comes from. Um, and so this this uh, essentially this this motion is is wording on asking the council to find a way to um, to um, to give a more certainty of funding uh, for the stroke recovery service um, and to be fair the councillors kind of speak to this the story of it so rather than me talk about it let's listen to the clips let's um, kick it and um, and we'll go from there now a lot of this depends on how the nhs responds to this issue but it seems from the reply that we have that the local nhs the house of the white nhs see the stroke recovery service provided by the stroke association as merely signposting they quote examples in the letter uh, saying about the number of cases and the fact that people could be referred to other organisations and therefore it's merely signposting. I think this is a misunderstanding of the nature of the service that is provided. It may be that they don't understand the nature of the service. If so, I think that's unfortunate. Um, it could be seen as a misrepresentation. But there are two documents the NHS has produced in relation to stroke services. But basically what they are arguing is that there needs to be a more integrated approach. Um, it's clear that the development of stroke services throughout Hampshire is varied. We are probably better placed in Portsmouth maybe than other places. I think we have to be aware that the NHS is probably not going to come over the hill like the proverbial 7th Cavalry and save the situation and bring more money to the table. So we have to think about what we might want to do later. I mean, I know funding is up until December 24, I'm a bit surprised it didn't go to the end of the financial year. Which has I was contacted by local residents who were really shocked to find out that the Portsmouth Stroke Recovery Service was coming to an end. This service for many people in Portsmouth is a lifeline. It helps to prevent further strokes from occurring and supports rehabilitating stroke survivors back to everyday life. To describe the service as life-saving is not an exaggeration. It's important to remember that strokes can impact anyone, at any age and at any time and it's the fourth biggest killer in the UK. Marie Cleaver, who is a local resident, stroke survivor, and the person who started the online petition, is in her early 30s. People of all ages can have strokes, and their impact on people's lives after having one is huge. It can typically take a year or two at least to recover from a stroke, and that's as long as someone has good support and rehabilitation. Portsmouth City Council has funded a stroke recovery service delivered by the Stroke Association for 14 years. Initially, it was meant to end by June this year. Then an agreement was reached to extend the service to this December, with a view to moving on existing service users to other provisions. It's important to note that there are no other services in Portsmouth who offer what this service offers. The alternative services that were suggested are simply not comparable. We welcome a decision to continue to fund the service for now. But we deeply regret three things. Firstly, that stroke survivors had to endure huge levels of stress and anxiety while they are meant to be focusing on their recovery. Secondly, that the Stroke Association was extremely close to making a staff member redundant because of this service being cut. Thirdly, that the administration has only agreed to fund the service until December 2024 when there are no guarantees the local integrated care system will be able to take the service on.
The quality of the support received while in recovery determines if a stroke occurs again and if a person can go back to living their normal life. A service like this actually saves lives and it saves money. A fully rehabilitated stroke survivor means less time spent returning to help from the NHS. It means less of a need for critical illness support. It means less time spent going to A&E. This is, of course, on top of all the human and social costs, because the sooner a stroke survivor heals, the sooner they can return to work, the more likely they are to be able to get back to caring, their caring responsibilities and be an active member of their community. And it's not right to say it was a cut. It was funding no longer being there. It was a, a funded by an underspending of the Better Care Fund, of which we didn't have any more. Uh, there was no cuts by the council uh, to the funding. The funding just ceased to, uh, well, ceasing to exist. Um, I was approached at the end of March uh, by a, a ward resident of mine, um, a uh, work for the Stroke Association, but also a carer for her mother, who was a stroke survivor, um, who raised this issue with me uh, at that point. Um, and then uh, we arranged the meeting uh, which went forward and then uh, as a result of that we were able to um, extend the service until the end of December unless the, uh, the integrated stroke recovery pathway had been implemented by the integrated care system of Hampshire and Isle of Wight uh, sorry the integrated care board of Hampshire and Isle of Wight no work on that had even begun the issue with the stroke recovery pathway is that the stroke recovery service, as we have in Portsmouth at the moment, does not fit within that pathway. So whatever happens when it is done, Hampshire or the white wide, is going to be different. But if we can get a design right that fits in with the pathway that is done, uh, that is given to us nationally, it's mandated by the NHS that we that, that that's the way the thing works. We have something that works not just for Portsmouth, but the, for the rest of this system. But this is a really good example of the dire situation facing local government across this country. We are seeing week after week this government suddenly grabbing little bits of money away from our budgets and changing the criteria literally every week. So as much as we're fighting to get money in the front door, they're whipping it away from the back doorstep. Now, this is not just a Portsmouth problem, Lord Mayor, it's a national problem. We were at a meeting with the Archbishop of Canterbury on Saturday lunchtime, which lots of city partners were there, and the same thing came through. Stop measuring everything. Stop putting KPIs on stuff that don't even make sense. We all know, everyone who works in local government knows, that if you put more resource into the front end, in early help and intervention and those additional wraparound services, you will save a fortune at the acute end of need and demand. And also, bonus, you'll actually improve the outcomes of millions of people's lives in this country, whether it's young people through education or, um, or activity support away from school, whether it's through literacy, whether it's through library provision, cultural and creative activity, and yes, additional healthcare provision. So the thing that's frightening me at the moment is I'm hearing nothing from the people who are supposed to be the government in waiting that gives me assurance that we will not be in the same boat. So I do hope we're not going to be sat here post-general election still making the same plea. We need a government to listen. Stop measuring, recognise 
that the people on the ground know the best way to deploy the resources and let's start changing people's lives in a positive way rather than only dealing with them when they were already in crisis. A couple of pieces in there that really need sort of pulling out, which I, I, I guess I'm a bit I'm a bit confused about because I think when the mesh, when the sort of when the motion was originally brought and struck off, there was a it was going to close this year. Um, I remember reading in the newspaper that funding had been secured for December 24, um, which mm -hmm. is obviously December next year. And obviously there's a budget between now and then. So it, it was a difficult one. And, and, you know, Steve at the end gave a very impassioned plea about the government stealing all the money and taking the money from local councils and, centralizing everything and now the people on the ground know best i i'm i and again forgive me because I, I was struggling with the audio did did i miss something fundamental in that or, or was that was that was that a bit of a tableau for for or effect so i, I so I, so i think i think the the interesting kind of underlying part of the of the of the debate was um was that essentially um, the stroke um, the stroke association have, have got this the stroke recovery service in Portsmouth, yep. which doesn't seem to exist elsewhere in in Hampshire. Nope. Um, uh, so it's a it's a better setup uh, perhaps than than other other cities or other municipalities have um, in the region. Um, but there is coming down the the coming down the stream um, a centralisation of this from whatever the appropriate body is in the in the NHS and forgive me I'm not going to launch into the into the acronyms that that that, that um, Councillor Heaney uh, mentioned on. Um, so um, and Councillor Winnington, who's the cabinet member for um, health health and social care and well being, mentioned that um, that uh, essentially the um, the NHS body that's responsible hadn't really started any work on actually replacing that service um at that point um when he when he met with them in, in july so um so councillors of um so both councillor uh winnington and uh councillor gerarda um mentioned that they'd had they'd had residents bring it to their attention um councillor gerarda talking about um, a lady that's that's um, launched a petition that's got 1300 signatures um in the in the city basically um calling for it and uh, and councillor winnington also um, commenting that the the funding of the service um has only been possible because there was spe essentially there was spare money in another pot mm. um, and that 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 pot no longer has spare money in it so there was an underspend in another area which allowed the funding of it um so after july's uh, council meeting the council were able to extend the funding until until december 2024 um councillor was remarking that um December 2024 is a, a bit odd in the sense of what, why couldn't it be in the end of the financial year? Um, but but essentially, there's there's also the underlying thing of, well, hang on, the NHS are meant to be doing something to replace this thing, and therefore at some point it's going to need the, the the provision of these services is going to need to move over. Um, but Councillor Heaney was pointing out that the, the NHS don't seem to recognise mm. or realise what services this service, what what features and support this this provides to people, uh, so um, survivors of strokes and their families. Um, and and of course, the the sooner you can support someone with a stroke or the family of someone with with a stroke, the the sooner the the better uh, and more stable their their recovery can be, and the the much uh, better 
um, mm. chances are for their you know for their for their involvement in in society in general and and uh, much less misery all, all round. Um, so I, I found it quite interesting. So Labour are essentially asking for a, a a local funding of a local type of service, whereas the Liberal Democrats are arguing there should there's actually meant to be a centralised design on this, and we should be following that. Well, and 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 for me there is a this actually gets into to an area that um that, that i know reasonably uh well which is this balance between statutory provision as in what is the council obliged to provide versus discretionary provision which is the kind of yeah. you know the, the 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 very kind of you know and and the worry is always that if once you design something centrally particularly in the world of healthcare, it becomes very expensive very quickly and so becomes, you know, uh, to use the old project term, the minimum viable product or the statutory provision. And often what happens with discretionary provision is that charities step in to fill the void. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, again, it, it sounds very clearly that, that we have a local provision in Portsmouth that is doing a fantastic job um, and I, I think there is an element of, you know, the question is, if it matters, if it really matters, we'll find the money for it. And, you know, it is difficult because, you know, ev and I think this speaks to why the motion was potentially delayed. It's very easy to bring motions to spend more money. But where is the money coming from is always the most difficult question. If we're honest, Simon, after the four and a half years of doing this, this is often where, you know, everyone agrees the right thing to do. And politically, nobody agrees the right way to there is one best way to fund it. So, um, yeah, I think I think it, I think it kind of comes down to that. And to be fair, um, council leader, uh, Councillor Steve Pitt, um, essentially said as much. Once the design is, is kind of complete, we need to kind of figure out what is catered for in the in the NHS's design, and what's outside of that, what's statutory and therefore required, mm. and then hopefully that would be funded by the NHS and therefore not be coming out of the council budget. And then the, if there's, you know, some sort of res residual part of um, service that the stroke association can provide in partnership with that then you know let's look at that so it it just kind of it speaks to a bit of a mess really to me of the of the fragmentation of the, of the service um um but it's interesting this is a playing out of the centralization of the debate between centralization i we have an idea it should be standardized to we've got a local design that fits our local needs we should be able to do that but because it's a healthcare thing, that shouldn't should that really be coming out of local budget because the the local council budgets are are, are, are a mess. So where did we get to in summary then? What's the uh, what was the final uh, final decision? So, um, so um, I mean, essentially, the, I mean, the, the motion passed is because what it calls for is for the council to have a look and see what it can do um, to do that. Um, we'll see in the in the next motion the conversation about how council budgets work and how about how council funding works. Um, but I think there's a, there's no one there's no one sitting there saying we we absolutely shouldn't we absolutely would don't want to fund this. What they're saying is money's coming in through the front door to paraphrase Councillor Steve Pitt, but the government are finding ways to basically pick our pockets um, at, at the back, not leaving us kind of money. So there's a a certain level of stuff that's statutory, which um, you know may or may not be funded, and then there's other stuff um, and 
you know there's lots of things that you want but you 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 can't necessarily you can't really kind of provide an answer that that lasts uh, kind of yeah. more that more than that time period I mean, and he speaks to that in the in the next um the next motion so it's probably best we move right. on to the well, i to think the in the interest one. of time we need to move that one forward yes so um so the next one is um is is a similar motion uh from the labor group which is about um continuing support and funding uh for portsmouth pride so hopefully and this was another one that got struck off wasn't it um, so it was also um, struck off and not decided in, not discussed in July. Yes, right. Let's hear what so, they got to So say. basically, they they came with the same thing. So um, let's hear with this one. Portsmouth Pride is an important, essential day in the year's calendar to mark a celebration of diversity across Portsmouth and the surrounding area. It has the ability of bringing together people of all ages from all walks of life in a way that few other events are able to. This year alone saw South Sea Common transformed into a sea of colour and creativity with an estimated 30,000 residents from across Portsmouth and the surrounding area coming together in support of the LGBTQ community. Over the years within Portsmouth it has gone from strength to strength, growing with each successive event but remaining free and accessible to all. But this wouldn't be possible without the tireless dedication of the Portsmouth Pride trustees and volunteers who throughout the year ensure that all the hard work is undertaken from getting sponsors and partners to provide financial contribution to help keep the event free and accessible with no barrier to entry to developing clear positive communication throughout the year to make sure that Pride is not just one day in the year. We must not forget though that through all the celebrations and joy, pride is in itself a protest. A protest against the inequalities that still affect LGBTQ plus community in our country. From the continued rise in hate crimes against LGBTQ plus people, to the attacks on existing rights to live peaceful lives as an LGBTQ plus person. From difficulties in accessing health care of trans people, to not be able to speak, to feel pride in oneself as a result of this government's delay in bringing about the end of conversion therapy. And it is through this protest that we find ourselves here today, to protest the way in which this administration plays about with the funding of Portsmouth Pride. What has been shown is that it cannot offer support and security to this great community early enough to help the Pride Trust plan effectively each year. It is through this that we are asking for a commitment from the administration to stop, stop its game playing of delaying in providing to Portsmouth Pride the necessary contributions as a key partner of the event and offering up the surety that the trustees and volunteers need in order to continue to develop the event further whilst making sure that it remains free and inclusive to all for years to come. We are asking that the administration looks into including a line in its annual budget to specifically fund Portsmouth Pride, which will indeed offer this security. Finally, we want to take this opportunity of thanking, on behalf of the whole council, the Portsmouth Pride trustees and volunteers, who, without the efforts that go on throughout the year, we would not have an event that acts as a beacon on the south coast of inclusivity, love, and diversity. When I was a child, we're going back a bit now, um, there was no, there were no pride marches. Well, not my neck of the woods. Um, there wasn't anything to be proud of, really, or not so I thought. But I knew nothing. 
I was a child living in fairly oppressive times between one thing and another. Pride is an opportunity to show our children and young people and our adult population that it's okay to be yourself. If we can save anyone the self-doubt, paralyzing fear, the anxiety and self-loathing that many of us had to go through, great. Why would you not? But there is no games playing whatsoever with Portsmouth Pride. They would not think that there is, and it's wrong that it should be represented like that in this chamber. It's important to understand how funding to organisations like Portsmouth Pride is actually put in place through council budget process and through portfolio. So, we support a number of organisations with revenue grants, and this is a good example. In fact, it's an excellent example, and I would have clapped Councillor Vallalili's speech, even if it wasn't her maiden one, because actually she summed up the sentiment of what we should be discussing here and not this technicality. But the Guildhall receives a revenue grant from the council, as does the King's Theatre, as does the New Theatre Royal, as does Aspects Gallery and other organisations. Portsmouth Pride is on that list that came to my portfolio. None of those organisations are given long-term funding by the council because that's not how the council's funding works. We have already embedded grant funding for Portsmouth Pride, which they have acknowledged and are very grateful and happy with for the next two years. So we have actually gone further with Portsmouth Pride as an organisation than we do with many other organisations in the city, exactly because we recognise how important it is. There's, there's no games playing here, and I really do take offence to that. And I'm not saying that in it for grandstanding. I genuinely am offended that people would think that this administration, and me in particular, since this goes through a portfolio, would ever play games with LGBTQ plus issues. I would never dream of doing so. This administration and this council does not play games with those issues. And please, nobody ever say that it does. But I was a bit um, sideswiped by the, uh, the game playing accusation. But anyway, um, what it does do is emphasize the cross party support for both the event but more importantly, as has been highlighted, the ongoing protest movement to challenge and improve inclusivity, especially in the light of recent trans culture wars, which are coming from key people in power nationally. You know, the reason I was slightly late today was I went to the opening of an inclusion centre where year six children had written poems about what inclusion meant to them. And I think maybe they should be sending some of those up to people who, who do have power in, uh, in government at the moment. And I think that free and unfenced bit is the bit that we all like to... Um, to emphasise, and there are many, many anecdotes of people who wouldn't have gone to it if it wasn't free and un unfenced. Obviously, we want to thank Portsmouth Pride Trust and all the volunteers for putting on, um, putting Portsmouth on the map, really. What was supposed to be a, a notice of motion that would unite this chamber, and I believe it probably still will, you've actually turned it into a divisive issue with your comments, and I, I find that totally deplorable. We'd better, we'd better run through the cast there, I think, Simon. I, I, I mean, there are some uh, voices that I, I picked out. So who, who, was our who was our opener there? Um, so that was Councillor uh, George Fielding uh, from the Labour Party uh, proposing the motion. Followed by Mary Vullely, who I thought yes. spoke 
um, brilliantly. I, I, yeah, I thought, thought she she summed I, and to, she got to the heart of the matter very quickly. She really did, but she also um, shared a really um, heartfelt and um, and touching story, and that was her maiden uh, her maiden speech. So um, I've shared in the in the comments the links actually to to the debate on this item. Uh, so please do go listen to that and and listen to her her first contribution. Um, the time that we've got, we, we couldn't pay it justice. Um, so after her um, excellent contribution, um, we then had council leader, councillor Steve Pitt. Um, Understandably and, angry. Uh, yes, quite, um, quite obviously um, not happy um, with some of the wording that was, um, that was used in, um, in the motion. Um, and then followed by councillor Susie Horton, the, the deputy leader of the council. Um, and then um, at the end um, was the Conservative group leader, Councillor Simon Bosher. Um, so I, I think that the summary was that everybody agrees um, with, uh, with, with essentially everybody agrees with what this motion and the, and the previous motion want, wants to do. The disagreement is what's the correct process for being able to um, provide that certainty or what level of certainty can the council provide, bearing in mind its budgets are assessed from year to year. And indeed, an administration that's in charge of the budget one year might not be an administration that's in charge of the budget mm. uh, the next year. So different parties have different ways that they would like to do that. The Labour group um, had suggested in their amendments to the budget in February that there was a line item specifically uh, for Portsmouth Pride. Um, and you know, so there was, a, there was a bit of a to and fro, which is a, a shame because the discussion was really um, turned out to be about how... Um, how displeased actually the, the the council seemed to be about some of the wording and indeed councillor um um councillor fielding in, in his summing up um pleaded with the council you know said look don't let my wording detract from the overarching aim of this motion um and kind of bear that into a, into in, into account kind of thing so i think fundamentally everybody you know at the end of the day it it, it passed everybody, everybody everybody agreed with it but it was just it was another example of we all agree but we disagree on how no i don't i don't actually think it went further than that to be honest with you simon and I, and, I, and again if i was sat where steve is you know that the, the the council has made long-term you know as long a term commitment as it can do mm. and all political parties seem to agree that it should you know, it, it, it should be funded and it, it, you know, and it's important. And for me, Mary summed up exactly why it should be funded. And I, and I think that there was an element of, you know, so for me, again, it comes back to what we can all agree on. I mean, there was a couple of pieces in there, which I, I, I have to say, I felt a little bit uncomfortable with, because for me, a, a celebration of inclusivity, a celebration of you know anyone living the life that they choose and and that being a fantastic family event I, i'm so i'm absolutely 100 percent behind I, I did find when it started to stray into well it's a protest movement and and people making political points about it being a protest movement i i i started to become a bit uncomfortable there because i i i then find it a little bit as I say uncomfortable that we should be asking our council to fund a protest movement so i, th I think that you know for, for me a little, little bit of a muddying of the waters there i guess the good news is is that you know that everybody in the end got to Rome. and perhaps as you say if mr fielding reflected on his choice of words and and backtracked a little bit then thank goodness for that because the 
I think you're using this as a political football, says he, while smashing the political football as hard as he can. Um, probably didn't come across, didn't cover himself in glory there, did he? Well, that was that was certainly the um, certainly how um, people in the chamber were were responding to it. I'd, um, I, you know, I can, yeah. It, it just seemed it just seemed a shame to me that something everybody seemed to agree on in the sense of yes, we definitely should and could um, and will, but essentially that's and will, um, but disagreed on quite the how and what the mechanism was and how it, how that reports into the budget was then kind of sidetracked by the by the by the, ch- the choice of language and and like you say the the kind of type of point scoring um and uh, and accusing people of playing games when 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 none were were being played i think it's i don't know it's it, it's almost like you've got to remember when you're writing a leaflet and when you're writing a motion to council they're not the same thing so uh, let's move on to our our third and final big clip right from the beginning of my campaign i was publicly hounded by a small group of men insulting me in the street and park whilst I was with my young daughter, posting letters through my door and constantly messaging abusive comments via social media. I was even approached with confidential information about my father that had been sourced by an individual in what I perceived as being an attempt of threat to question my commitment and motive to being a counsellor. The turning point was when my now husband defended me and then found himself becoming the victim of such a damaging attack that could have been career-ending. Since my election win, unfortunately, the hounding has continued and has had a significant impact on my mental health. There have been times when I have travelled more than 30 minutes out of the area to take my daughter to a park just to avoid bumping into residents. I am passionate about getting more diversity into the council chambers, and therefore, for that to happen, Things need to change and attitudes need to be addressed to protect the victims of these incidents. We're bringing this really minor amendment because from studying the Debate Not Hate campaign, we feel there is an element that's missing in the motion. And that's around the personal attacks, hurtful commentaries and disrespectful debate that councillors can face, not just externally from the public, but also internally from other councillors too. In the Debate Not Hate publication, on the local government association's website, their research finds that politicians have a significant role in shaping public discourse. Their words and actions can have a powerful impact on society. It speaks of the importance of councils utilizing a code of conduct to help councillors model best conduct, balance their behavior, understand the expectations of their role. Indeed, one key recommendation from the research is to prioritize councillor wellbeing by recognising and considering how a council can support councillor wellbeing and address the negative impacts of personal attacks and hurtful commentaries. So I felt the need to, to bring this minor amendment and just draw attention to these key findings because member-to-member conduct can also be a source of misery, it can deter people from standing and it can undermine our democracy as well. What's said on social media, to residents on the doorstep and in party political communications can all serve to make our jobs as councillors so much more difficult. There is enough toxicity, I think, outside the council chamber that we have to face without generating it in here too. But it's up to us to call these people out to make sure that women know that local politics is a safe place for them and their families. Um, I mean, I, I, I think we all have a responsibility in the organisations that we are involved with, whether they be voluntary organisations or political parties, to expect anyone who contributes to those places that they 
have a decent respect for individuals. You can disagree about ideas, you can disagree about policies, you can disagree about decisions, but you don't have to attack the individuals as if they are evil or have done something terrible. They may well have made those decisions for what they think are the right reasons. You might disagree with those reasons. Well, disagree with the reasons, don't disagree with the person. But we ought to be careful about that. Be careful about how we present what we say and what we do, because otherwise our public life will be poorer. I, I do echo what's been said. I truly believe, actually, that regardless of which party we all stand for, um, for election, we do try to stand for election to make our residents' lives better, which is why we do it. If I asked all my colleagues around the room, including the officers in the chamber, if they had received some kind of threat, um, whether uh, physical, mental, anything like that, I'm sure that almost every single member would raise their hand and say, yes, they have had something. Um, whether it's a threat of violence, mental abuse, nasty words, or things even worse, we've all received them. Um, I've heard people of all different parties, officers, speak about it all the time. And how many times has anyone in this chamber been threatened with actual physical violence? Um, I can tick every single one of those things off and more. I wanted to really briefly highlight some of these things, some particularly been aimed at me, and, and because I am a woman councillor. Um, I've had those barb points on social media like everyone else has. You do have to have a thick skin as a counsellor, which I am very lucky to have, so can tend to laugh it off or just brush it off. However, the anonymous threat sent to me via Facebook Messenger last year threatening to rape me on my way home um, was not one I could personally brush off, but unfortunately was not one the police could follow up as someone had created a fake profile and disabled it instantly when they sent it to me. So it was near impossible to find out who said it. This and the fact that earlier this year a gentleman went to punch me in the face due to misinformation given to him resulted in my husband deciding to put a rush order in on a ring doorbell camera for our house, a motion sensor light for our garden, and to ask me to provide my location to him on my mobile phone, something we've never done when coming home late at night. Um, it's caused so much worry to my family and they are so concerned about some of the stuff we all have to put up with. Um, I've been told personally I need to leave politics to the men and that a woman's place is in the kitchen and um, not in a position of power. And to add to that, I was also, which breaks my heart, threatened with social services by a resident to have my children, who are my absolute world, taken away from me, not because I was a threat to my children or a bad mother or put them in harm's way in any way, shape or form, but purely because he did not like my party and what they stood for. It's stuff that we have to go through as women, sadly. Um, but I think it's also important to make people aware that, sadly, in my case and in other people's cases around this room, abuse has bypassed me and people have been specifically targeting my family. Two of the strongest, most marvellous women in my life were targeted this year. My boss had to get the police involved and my wonderful, kind mother, the most amazing woman in the world, had malicious and false complaints submitted to the council against her. These were withdrawn within the same day of being made after they were apparently put in as a mistake, but they were so serious she could have faced suspension. I'm thankful to the, her management at the council for supporting her during this time and after and making sure it was logged as malicious and false. However, that damage has already been done. My mother is so anxious and worried about going to work and maybe rocking the boat in any way, shape or form. It's, it's caused real damage to her and I will personally never be able to get the image out of my head after being called in by her colleagues into the library to see my mother falling to the floor with us all thinking she was having a heart attack, thinking she was about to lose her job over something that was completely untrue. It's not okay people think it's acceptable to do this to others or to our family members or friends. 
I don't know what the answer is to this. I'm supportive of this, but sadly, I don't think this is going to make much change until the social media companies actually get a grip on making those sorts of people accountable for what they publish and print. Well, very, very that, difficult yeah. to hear a, a lot of Indeed. that. Did you want us to just take us through the contributors there, Simon? Because I think some people very much. Yeah. So, um, so, um, so the proposer, um, which is the first uh, person we heard from, was Councillor Leonie Oliver. That was her maiden. Uh, that was her maiden. Her maiden speech. Um, then we heard from Councillor Charlotte Gerarda, the, the leader of the Labour group, who was um, basically proposing um, their amendment. Um, to the motion which essentially was just saying that hang on also we we need to um, maintain this standard um and lead by example within within the within the chamber which was uh, subsumed um um by uh, by leone um and um i think then we heard from councillor lee hunt um and uh, and then from um councillor uh, kimberly barrett uh, the um the cabinet member for uh for uh, net net zero and uh, climate change um and then the the closing uh, sorry the remark at the end then again was from from councillor simon bosher um yeah it's it's just terrifying and awful and i i agree with um with, with councillor bosher on this i don't know yeah, it's absolutely right. The the amendment that um, in calling for actually there's a there's a there's a level of civility. Oh, sorry, in in, in amongst there, I, I missed out was Councillor Graham Heaney about um, yeah. essentially the ability to disagree nicely. Um, ab absolutely right that those things um, should be there, um, and that uh, all council members should be holding themselves um, um, to to account, holding each other um, to account, but also just the tirade and the viciousness of the and that's why I, I played I, I played so much of them and as disturbing as they are because we, we want we want the you know we want more um, more reflective representation in the council chamber but if all councillors and particularly um, women councillors or women candidates are being attacked and hounded and bullied and harassed and threatened um, in this way. Is it any wonder that there aren't more um, standing right. and, um, and and being elected? It's it's just it's just disgusting, uh, and it it makes you more proud, I think, and more more in awe of those that do it anyway and ignore that and know that actually they're doing the right thing for their communities and and if if elected the, the community has chosen them um but yeah it's it well um councillor Bosch said it i don't i don't quite know what the answer is well, but this has to stop because it's just wrong and as councillor heaney said it's just making our it's actually making our democracy poorer for for it because and it's just wrong it's just wrong. It, it is absolutely fundamentally wrong. The the I mean, the, and I think Councillor Bosher, the, the the social media entities have to get a grip of this. Um, you know, and and it, it's something that they are fundamentally ignoring. You know, the, the, there is an element of, you know, I again, you know, I, I said in a, a post a while back that you know, if if somebody me offered me that deal. 
I'd snap their arm off and I, I copped a three day ban for basically threatening to use violence against somebody. So the algorithm picked that up and, and, and banned me, but you know, the, the, the citing of the, you know, some of the abuse that these people receive and even complaining back to the, the service provider gets you an automated bot response, which is don't care. I, I was in Northern Ireland last month. And one of the things that struck me as I, I was chatting there is that in Northern Ireland, your political belief is a protected characteristic. So again, when I think it was Kimberly was saying that, you know, somebody threatened to report her to social services, not because of anything she had done, but because they didn't agree with her, the political party she represented. In Northern Ireland, that would be registered as a hate crime. And I, I, I do wonder whether, whether we, we need to move towards that kind of thinking, because there, there is this, there is this demonization of the people that don't wear your colors and and there are a small subset of people who will just you know spit bile and abuse at a human being just because of the color of the rosette they choose to wear and i think it was graham heaney you know who pointed out that you know men most of the time the, almost everyone who goes into local politics does so because they want to make a difference they want to help people and you know the old no good deed goes unpunished is is it has to stop but i think you know there is an element of i think we have to societally we have to look at these things differently if we really want it to stop yeah we we seem to well for some people we we seem to have just fundamentally lost the ability to disagree nicely and to separate the policy from the person um yeah that and, and and i think those are those are two key things that um we can't solve in the remaining time that no. we, we've got uh, on the show today but those are you know those are the, i think those are the, the fundamental issues but the, the, the viciousness and the, and the th it just has to no, it just has it just has to stop because there is no place for it because people you know no um so um, I'll quickly run through the the, the rest of them. So uh, uh, another key uh, uh, another key uh, motion was was the next motion, which was about parental leave policy. Um, so councillors, um, much as anybody else who's in any, who's in any form of uh, employment would would get um, maternity or, or paternity leave. If you're a councillor, you you don't get that. Um, and um, uh, essentially, um, what this motion is is calling on is for the councillor to consider how it can make that work in 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 a way so that it recognizes that um bearing in mind that there are stipulations in the 1972 act about uh, basically attending meetings attending formal meetings um at least every six months so um I, I, again it just you know if, if the bar is set to make it so difficult for half the population to yep. attend or, or to take part is it any surprise that the outcome is that a lot of them don't yeah um, so do go and uh, watch that um, watch that debate um, in full. Um, I've shared shared the links to that. Um, the next one was about community wardens back in the city, brought in by uh, Pip, um, and that was uh, that was uh, Councillor Chris Dykes' uh, maiden speech. Um, good debate there. Um, bit of a conversation there about unintended consequences that if you move um, some of the uh, some of the wardens uh, to a particular part of the city, essentially they may not be then. 
uh, that then reduces the resource that's available throughout the time. Having them in a central location um, and then being called off to where they go, need to go to means that you're covering a wider wider amount of hours and you're covering covering a wider area. But is that the best place? Is, is having them centrally rather than um, spread around the city the best thing? And essentially the, the motion is just calling for the council to review that and see whether that's a good idea. And the council agreed that that was a good idea to review. Um, that was the first amendment that was rejected by... Um, um, so um, the Lib Dems uh, essentially brought in a motion that effectively kind of seemed to nullify the, the point of the, the motion, um, which um, Councillor Dyke uh, pointed out. Um, but that was rejected. And then when voted on, uh, sorry, he rejected the opportunity to assume it. And when it was voted on, it, it failed. So the, the motion um, part was carried um, unamended. Yep. Uh, the next one was about celebrating the um, celebrating the um, the the 60 year anniversary of uh, Portsmouth's twinning with Haifa, uh, a city in Israel. Um, obviously that's really timely and, and important. Um, and there was an interesting thing about some of the items that should have been on display have not been on display. And uh, a, a room has been misnamed, has, has had its name changed during the reorganization that took place post COVID, but uh, councillor, Council leader Steve Pitt um, was already asking for a review on that. Um, the other one was about varied synthetic pitch provision in Portsmouth, um, brought by Councillor Atkins. Um, again, looking for different types of synthetic pitches because um, one type of material is is um, can cause um, issues or some there's a potential that um, they may fall foul of creating basically microplastics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and again, something logical to look at. Um, male sanitary bins. Um, People with all sorts of um, medical needs will need something to dispose of um, that that sort of uh, waste, criteria, yep. whether that's, um, yeah, so that sort of medical waste and that should be provided. Again, sensible. Um, and then there was a, another motion about um, increasing, um, increasing under, uh, basically education with regard to, regard to rail safety um, after, um, after, a fat, after a fatality um, in, in Kosham. So, um, again, another thing that quite understandably everybody agreed with. Um, and then it moved on to the questions. There were five questions. Three of them they got time for because the, the questions has a limited amount of times, so 40, 40, 45 minutes, um, with the ones that don't get covered getting a written answer. Um, but essentially um, those uh, those being um, with regards to the choosing the new locations of uh, the city fireworks uh, now that they, they can't be held at King George V playing fields because of the the uh, the new um, football investment. So there's a, there's, a, there's a good detailed response there from Councillor Steve Pitt about how that's been funded um, and what difference that makes. There's a question about the clean air zone and whether that's really effective uh, from Councillor Gerada. So there's a good response there. Uh, and there's some other, other stuff about hiring of the KG5 and about um, the other questions were about uh, about surveying other buildings for uh, rack for the uh, the concrete, oh. um, the the aerated concrete. Um, and um, so, the, yeah, so there's all some good stuff there. But sadly, we're, we we're, are um, well out, out, of out of time. Yes. And uh, and to be mm. fair, we've done well to condense it into just over the hour. We, we were a little bit short last week, so we've we've indulged ourselves. But uh, no, it seems we've carried over on exactly. our plan. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems like a, a, a heady mix there. So uh, you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I have been Ian Tiny Morris. And I've been Simon Sansbury. Uh, do join us next week at 6.27 when we're inviting Robert Whitfield on to talk to us about AI and AI governance. Uh, so please do uh, do make a note in your diary uh, to watch the show uh, next week. Uh, but see you then, 6.27. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>